It has been long enough since I watched this movie that I have watched another Jeffrey Wright movie since I watched it. What did you watch? I watched Only Lovers Left Alive, the Jim Jarmusch vampire movie. Yeah. It's a great movie. I really loved it. I've never seen... I haven't watched a Jim Jarmusch movie since, like, college. Why would you? (laughs) Well, I mean... (laughs) I don't have anything against Jim Jarmusch. That's rude to Jim Jarmusch. I, I think this is the only Jim Jarmusch movie I've seen. I really, really loved it. And uh, as ever, Jeffrey Wright played a weird little guy who was very good at one thing. <laughs> let's well, Okay, let's go down the list of Jeffrey Wright roles where he plays a weird little guy who's good at uh, exactly one thing. So this movie counts. Okay, well, yes. This movie counts. The movie we're going to talk about, but we can't talk about right. it. Uh, Only Lovers Left Alive counts. Westworld absolutely counts. And that's a show, okay. I realize. But it counts. Uh, and uh, his appearances in the Bond movies count. Uh, and I was going to say, what about his role in Basquiat as Basquiat? Uh, <laughs> this, might, uh, this might break my my summary of Jeffrey Wright's entire career. <laughs> the, the, t- the titular weird little guy who's good at one thing. Also... The Grave Digger in Hamlet. Again, weird little guy who's good at one thing. I'm just really glad we get to talk about Jeffrey Wright in any capacity. Oh, also, uh, The French Dispatch. Uh, yep. Yeah. But I mean, okay. But French Dispatch is just a, a, made by a filmmaker. All of his characters are weird little guys who are good at one thing. This is why because I, I he is a weird little guy who's good at one thing. I will forever have a soft spot for Wes Anderson because I have the world's softest spot for weird little guys. Yeah. Oh, oh, do you? No. <laughs> yes. It's, it's part of my whole deal. Uh, <laughs> speaking of my whole deal, I don't know. That's not yeah, a... That's, and weird little guys. That's a, yeah, that's not a segue. Uh, hi, uh, welcome to Pizza Toast. Is that, is that anything? It is a thing. It's a podcast. What's it about? It's, uh, it's about uh, YA. It's about YA adaptations. It's about... The books and movies based on Y and sometimes their source material used to be mostly about books uh, kind of centering on coming of age. A lot of girls kind of branching uh-huh. out a little and now branching out as far as uh, the greatest dystopian novels of all time. Okay, but it's still about a girl. Like It's, it's absolutely about a girl. Literally also, about I, a girl. I don't mean that they're, they aren't. The greatest of all time, but they're pretty. They're pretty great. Mm-hmm. I mean, as far as like why a dystopian fiction goes, they are right up near the top I of think the list. I think they might be unparalleled. Oh, by the way, I'm Christy, and I'm Phil. Ha. I think you said Christy earlier. Did I? Sorry. Yeah, but that's okay because some people may have just if I have to come in just now. So uh, <laughs> I don't know how that's possible with podcasts, but they probably they may have. Uh, I don't know. The Giver is up there. I'd say The Giver is up there with like The Giver is really wonderful. Swords. I didn't read The Giver until college in the same way I didn't read these until college. But that uh, that time-wise, that was the only possibility for The Hunger Games. I guess what sets The Hunger Games apart, and we'll really get into it, uh, fine. I mean, we've gotten into it, is the fact that The Hunger Games isn't just a dystopian novel. It's a war series. It's about revolution and insurrection and war, uh, whereas a lot of these kid dystopian novels go in that like sort of hint in that direction but a lot of them sort of would rather dwell in the rules of the dystopia whereas in hunger games it's kind of always left a little vague yeah until it um, i think it gets more specific in mockingjay but we're not hitting mockingjay yet right we're not at mockingjay yet yeah yeah i definitely am not reading mockingjay right now that's for sure as of this point at this point in this in this timeline 
We still don't know much about the capital. No, almost nothing. We know what limited uh, information we can glean from the parties that... uh, There's one big party in particular that PETA and Katniss attend. Right. We know the representatives of the capital that they know well. And we are starting to know, as we have always known, um, the capital is extremely evil, but we're learning that there are more facets to that evil. Than we right. actually do. Uh, so uh, we are on now our fourth episode of yes. this long-running series. Uh, we are on uh, The Hunger Games Catching Fire, the 2013 adaptation of the second book in the series. Uh, and one thing we didn't mention in our coverage of the book was the fact that this book sort of shows... This book kneecaps the story a little bit by its own logic in the sense that... or seems to until you learn more about President Snow in that this is the book where a lot of the districts start getting really like clamped down on and punished so much so that the things that they provide to the capital are also getting clamped down on there is a uh, there's supply chain issues and it's weird that they would threaten to wipe districts off the map when only one district provides your coal. Only one district provides your textiles. See, apparently only one district provides your agriculture. Like, they got rid of nukes, apparently, with District 13, which, okay. But also, you can't do without a lot of the other stuff. You can't do without shrimp if you're throwing a good party in the capital, <laughs> is the thing we find out. The, the seafood district. I love that there is a seafood like... district and a like lumber <laughs> district. Yes, because, uh, oh, yes, uh, that is uh, respectively four and seven. <laughs> seven. Yeah. On Maslow's trees. hierarchy of needs, where does <laughs> seafood hit? <laughs> well, we get to know the uh, the seafood and tree representatives really well in this movie. There's actually <laughs> more. I'm going to say they give us more of Finnick than we actually get in book two. We learn more about him than than we do in the book. I think he he definitely comes across as more of a rounded character in the movie. Yeah. In the book, uh, I mean, this is also the thing of like the limited Katniss person. We'll get into mm-hmm. Finnick after we've talked a little bit about the movie broadly, because I bet you want to talk about production stuff. And I know I want to talk about production stuff this time. I yeah, this movie. Wow. So Love this Hunger movie. Games comes out, hits hard. A uh, little, little, uh, little Lawrence, little Je- Jennifer Lawrence paid five hundred thousand dollars for her lead in that movie. Uh, That's but like they zero also got dollars. Like, what? That's like zero dollars for that role. Five hundred thousand bucks. I think. Uh, what's her face from Twilight? Uh, what's her name? Uh, Kristen Stewart. Kristen Stewart. K. Stu herself. She got I think two million for Twilight, but K. Stu was more of a known quantity at the time. She's she been in movies. And she's stuff. been in movies. Jennifer Lawrence was an Oscar nominee already. Could have asked. No, for more she money. she wasn't. Oh because... no, no, they had only seen her in Winter's Bone, right? Right. Winter's Bone had come out. She hadn't been nominated yet. Okay, and then in between, okay. in, in between uh, this, the first movie and the second movie, uh, 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 her Oscar win. Yeah, she wins. Happens. So there's like this weird, like, because Hunger Games comes out in March of 2012. Which means the Oscars were the same month. Then Catching Fire comes out in November of 2013. And in that time, Jennifer Lawrence has been nominated for an Oscar and then been nominated for a second Oscar, which she's won. Like in between two, 
in between two sequels that are a year apart that has happened. Like, it, it changed everything for this movie. That feels somewhat unprecedented. Maybe it isn't. I could be wrong. But it feels like it is. <laughs> she just took out... Did, what did you think of Silver Linings Playbook? I love that movie. Um, yeah. I, there is one scene that makes it, I think, a great movie. I do not care for David O. Russell. I think his filmmaking is uneven at best. Uh, nine mm-hmm. times out of ten. But... That scene does, or that movie does a very good job of portraying the angry parts of bipolar disorder. And that yeah. is not an easy thing to do without it becoming either cartoonish or not quite much, uh, or not quite enough. There's a scene where Jennifer Lawrence's character and Bradley Cooper's character discuss all the side effects of all of the different drugs they've been put on for their depression. And it is one of my favorite mundane scenes in any movie. So well done uh, because the, I've had the exact conversation that they have with like many times like, oh, Clonopin made you tired, a Vilify made me manic. And that shouldn't, it's, that's probably not even entertaining to most people, but I love it. <laughs> so my thoughts would, on that movie, good. Uh, she gives an Oscar worthy performance in that movie. Would it have been the same movie if instead of Bradley Cooper, uh, Mark Wahlberg had stayed on the project? No, I would have hated it. Uh, I think it was originally just to be like Mark Wahlberg and Angelina Jolie. That would be a worse ar- movie. Um, also, this that was around the time I like very reluctantly was like, I guess Bradley Cooper is a good actor. Yeah. Yeah. Good movie, though. Do uh, you like that movie? I like that movie. I haven't seen Silver Linings Playbook since it came out, but I remember Same. liking it. Uh, I've always been kind of back and forth on Jennifer Lawrence, like never really quite sure like how I feel feel about her acting like I've never thought she was a bad actor but I always was just like I don't know if I'm as like on board with her but when she hits she hits and <laughs> I she's think never she's maybe the only good thing about American Hustle a movie that I do hate uh yeah uh, yeah some um, yeah someone on Facebook posted the other day a, 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 a status update about how Jennifer Lawrence was so promising in her first movie and then she's stunk and everything ever since Winter's Bone they were like Man, we sure thought she was going to be something. And then she's just sort of stunk in everything since then. Uh, am I right? And I was just like, I don't, even people who don't like Jennifer Lawrence tend to say, like, but she's been good in a few things. Like, yeah, I've never heard anyone say she's just actor. universally like, I think awful. It, yeah. I don't, I don't think she, like, I don't think she's has, like, uniformly bad performances. I'd, I'd say it's more rare for her not to be good. Like, yeah, she's never less than committed. Yeah. Like, I'll say like if even though it's damning with faint praise, like I still think that like she's never she's never been I, as far as I've ever seen her been a like a lazy performer. Oh no, absolutely. Um, I mean, neither is like some terrible actress, so that's really not saying much. Yeah, but in any case, but, uh, Catching Fire. Yeah, she had so she had Hunger Games. She had so and and then she's starting to film like she's filming X Men First Class like around this time. So like all this stuff is like just sort of piling up because like the the filming of x-men uh first class and then like x-men days of future past like all this stuff is like kind of on top of the hunger game like fox has to make all these weird deals with the producers of hunger games so that she can like be in these two major franchises at the same time uh her star is rising meanwhile poor hutch josherson and liam hemsworth's stars they just don't seem to be able to like hook on to anything I, I guess after hunger games hutch has seven days in havana <laughs> the forger that red dawn remake uh 
And then it just Escobar Paradise Lost. It's not until he gets the Future Man role. I'm so glad I keep referencing Future Man because eventually I think this is going to lead. Like, I mean, inevitably we're going to start doing a Joshua, uh, like a Hutch Josherson podcast. But it's so weird that like her star just took off and Hutch and Liam like just kind of they just could. No one could seem to figure out what to even though Hutch had had like an amazing career up until then. And they're both really good. I think uh I think this movie there were ways in which the Hunger Games the first movie does both the character of Peta and uh Hutch dirty. Like I think it just yeah. doesn't it's not it's not a showcase for him. This movie he gets to do his thing and he's very good at it. Yeah, in the first movie, he comes across. Well, he looks weird in he it, and I don't know. So if it's, good in this movie, <laughs> I think it's that he was at an age where he hadn't grown into his body yet. Yeah, like I think he was between, like he was at that awkward age, it, and he looked like a like a toy of himself. Yes, like he looked like a a, a sidewalk artist's impression of Josh Hutcherson, a drawing, a, a Mad Magazine caricature of himself. <laughs> Then he shows up in this movie, and who oh boy, does he look good. Uh, again, watch the movie with Friend of the Pod, uh, Cassandra. Uh, both of us, I, I think, either whistled or cursed out loud when he walked on screen, just because it is such an enormous difference from the prior movie. And it makes Liam Hemsworth, uh, who is well into what he was, I think, at this point, into his Miley's. He was well into his Miley Cyrus phase at this point. He was with Miley Cyrus for like a long time, on again and off. Yeah. They were engaged oh, yeah. like twice. Their house burned down in 2018, as I reminded you, you off said mic. You said we weren't going to talk about this. I'm sorry. I had to mention it because I had forgotten I all about it. Because I was caught off guard, not because some people's house burned down. Right. It's not funny that their house burned down in the california wildfires it's uh, not funny it is unusual that he posted a photo in which the only thing to survive the fire okay it's funny i'm sorry it's funny <laughs> terrible things happen to them and i'm very sorry that they happen to them but he should not have posted that photo yes uh not the only thing that's right their pets survived like yeah, they didn't lose their uh, pets. oh yeah there there's a sculpture of the letters l-o-v-e and it's just like on a pile of rubble and yeah so I sent that picture to you. And then, of course, you make the District 12 parallel, which then got me laughing in my chair. We're because it's bad true. People, as it turns out. Like, he had a reverse Hunger Games. He had, like, flashbacks to the movie. Because uh, this is this is the movie in which District 12 blows up. Yes. Uh. So, yeah. So this is, yeah, this, like we said in the last one, this is the book. It's essentially the book with a few extra frills and losing a lot of the like it loses it loses a lot of the background stuff. Yeah. I think to its detriment, uh, we learn nothing about Hamich's experiences. We don't learn much about the previous Hunger Games. And I feel like that element of the of the novel is so vital to kind of getting this sense of like relentlessness of the capital like the brutality of what these people went through you don't re all of the all of the competitors are named but i you don't get to know many of them except for like your immediate crew i also so i love this movie i don't know that it's a good adaptation i think it's a good movie and a good continuation mm. of the story i think it's really like i think it's very well edited like they paired down a much larger story but you do lose a lot of what is going on that makes the book as captivating as it is 
Right. And I think I'm I'm at a disadvantage because I had just read the book. I had never seen the film. Is and it? if I I think if I had had a little more like distance between the two, I wouldn't have been so like nitpicky. But also because I find Suzanne Collins's her subtext, I find her themes so captivating right. that when they're not there, I'm like, ah, this is no, it should be more of a dissertation. Well, this is all we're also getting to a point where, like, uh, granted, if everything that was uh, written about in the first book had been portrayed like to the letter on screen, there would have been an R for the first one, too. We're getting right. to the point where we have to sanitize these books more and more. And they they actually they talk about this a lot in the production stuff, which is this. OK, well, first of all, let's 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 roll back the clock a little <laughs> bit. Tick tock, tick tock. Here we go. <laughs> Ooh. Because the first movie comes out and they're like, well, we got to get this second movie made right now. Like, we got to start pre-production right now on it. And the first thing that happens is they lose Gary Ross. Yes, they do. Um, for reasons that no one's ever really said. I um, desperately need to know what happened here. Yeah, I can't believe he was like, I'm doing the Free State of Jones and no one's going to stop me. I forgot that that was what he did next. Because... I just I feel like something got in the way and he was because he then he did Ocean's 8, but uh, they they brush over it in every interview and everything. It's like, <laughs> ah, he didn't want to do like, oh, he wanted to spend more time with, ah, he had some idea. Then it's just like, ah, whatever. But man, they went through like a ton of directors before before landing on because they were five months from production before they found a director yeah like it was it was to the wire and like pretty much name any director of genre films at the time and they were in the ring like from alfonso Cuarón to uh to what's this michael bay was listed oh gross as a possible uh which i'd kind of like to see (laughs) oh i would there are a few directors I think could do a really interesting take on this. I'm going to go ahead and say that I like Francis Lawrence's take on The Hunger Games a lot. Yeah. Oh, Catherine Bigelow was thrown in there. I could have gotten in on that. The woman who's made like some of the best war movies of all time. One of the yeah, best uh, war movies of all time. David Yates, Doug Lyman, John Chu, So this Bill actually Condon. kind of reminds me of the switch from we don't know what we're doing, Harry Potter directors, to David Yates. Like this, uh, yeah. Because then there's there is so much more uniformity across the next three movies than the first one, which really looks like this is a good continuation story wise. The direction style is so radically different of this movie. Yeah, because uh, because Lawrence comes in and is he? There's an interview with him where he's basically like. Ross did some great things. He gave us all a good foundation. <laughs> but I've got some idea. And you can tell he just walked into the production room. He's like, get rid of this. Get rid of this. We're redesigning this. We're redoing this. <laughs> this is going to look totally different. Uh, also, we have a budget now. So the CGI is not going to look like garbage. Let's it get what a workshop good. in here. Oh, and my man hates his shaky cam. And I'm so happy about it. Shaky cam is gone. They're like, we'll just show the violence. We just won't have any blood. Which I think honestly more effective for me like it feels like i i would still like i would still like some more blood personally that's a thing that mm-hmm. i would like but it's it's more visceral when you're not shying away from it and the the gruesome stuff is very gruesome right they save they save it up for the stuff that counts so you 
you don't get a lot of blood, but you do get sores and boils. You get so when, much like, pus. Like more pus yeah. than you would believe. More pus than you'd think. You get great looking monkeys. Those monkeys are amazing. They're so good. And yeah. And I mean, you get I could I could go on about how much better the visual effects are yeah. in this movie a lot cuz even like when we have the the what looked almost like matte paintings in the prior movie like in the back mm-hmm. in the background shots they look these look like real sets when they're not which is pretty impressive. They're definitely real sets. They filmed in Georgia and Hawaii. Uh The Hawaii becomes really uh, like Hawaii being one of the cool places that I have been cuz I don't travel a lot outside of the states but I have been there and every time something's filmed there you, you mean just outside know. the outside the continental United States. Yes. Because it's still in the no, I know that's like much one of to the, the chagrin the, of the of the native Hawaiians. Yes. By the way, uh, Hawaii also feels less like America than anywhere else I've ever met. But that is neither here nor there. <laughs> uh, no, so yeah, so they filmed on locations that are beautiful. They built a lot of huge practical sets. They upped the look. They upped the style. Um, they they brought back the same costumers, except that uh, they also got uh, what's his faces. Uh, team uh, uh, Steve Steve uh, who's the costume design the designer the fashion designer um, ugh, I can't think of his name um, Alexander McQueen sorry I Alexander was McQueen. Say McQueen was like that can't be right I was like it's not Steve McQueen he's a film director no uh, Alexander McQueen <laughs> uh, who uh, they got his house his like production team that checks to out to design uh, uh, costumes for um i think katniss's wedding dress something like that so katniss's outfits on the tour of the districts are immaculate and i want every single one of them like they're so good uh and yeah so in the budget for the first movie was 78 million the budget for this movie was 130 to 140 million Mm -hmm. so and you can which is and what and what's amazing is the first movie is 142 minutes. This one's 146. So what you're getting is well, you're getting higher paid actors because Jennifer Lawrence got like I think two million for this movie or four million for th- something like that. Uh, she got a lot more for this movie. A uh, ten million, sorry, she got ten million for this movie and then forty million for the next two. They did also. Uh, they also brought in some heavy hitters or one heavy hitter in particular, acting wise. Like, uh, get some bench strength here. Uh, R. I. P. Philip Seymour Hoffman swooping in as yeah. Plutarch Heavensby, making a character that I actually think is one of Collins's flatter characters into someone much more uh, interesting. Uh, yeah, I would agree. I would say that like a lot of her her characters, like Caesar Flickerman, like Plutarch Heavensby, uh, a lot of the capital people are painted in such broad strokes. You don't really get a sense of who they are in the mm-hmm. books because it doesn't matter. They're just representatives of the capital. To the Toot and Hoff like really go out of their way to like fill these people with like a weird psychology. And of course, Philip Seymour Hoffman's gonna do that. It was weird when he was cast. It was like it was weird that he got cast. It's in this weird movie. that he wanted to do this. I realize these were high profile movies and he had children. So maybe that had something to do with it. But it's weird that he's there. And I'm so glad that he is. It's very it, strange. Yeah, because he was, a, you know, he's Oscar nominated, Oscar winning by this point, uh, like long by this point. Yeah. Um, he'd been in Mission Impossible 3. Good movie. So we'd had Philip Hoffman in a in a big franchise before, and he said, I liked the people involved. It's a great group of actors. 
The character was something I was attracted to. He's somebody who's part of the revolution, but you don't know it. The idea that somebody would be risking themselves in such an extreme way to join something that's dangerous because he thinks it's the future. That's interesting stuff, you know? So that sounds, that sounds right. like a yeah, that sounds like a fairly diplomatic thing to say. I thought he was uh, paid really well. But he also worked directly with uh with the director and the screenwriters to create the character from what i from what i've read is like he was like we're gonna make this more than what's on in the book and so he's philip seymour hoffman like what do you like yeah it's yeah they're not gonna say no and what ends up happening is he becomes one of the most intriguing characters in this movie whereas think about it the equivalent character in the prior movie is seneca crane right there's not that much aside from his beard there's not a lot going on with that character Whereas right. here, I want to know everything about him. He's so enigmatic. He does, he, uh, I mean, best actor of uh, the 21st century, I think, probably. Uh, just uh, just throw it, like, throw his weight around on screen. You love to see it. What is the, your, what is the first thing you remember seeing him in? The first thing I remember is probably actually Mission Impossible 3, the J.J. Abrams one. My favorite Philip Seymour Hoffman performance is probably Boogie Nights. <laughs> <laughs> I remembered yes, him I from from Twister. He's I saw, really I fun saw, in Twister. Uh, I saw Twister. I know I had seen him in Leap of Faith, Scent of a Woman, My Boyfriend's Back. Like I know I had seen him in these movies, but of course I didn't remember him. Like oh, he no. was just another. But I remember I remember seeing Twister and thinking he was like a funny character. And then Boogie Nights came out the next year, and I was like, "That's that guy." And then the next year I saw Big Lebowski and I was like, that's that guy. And then I saw Happiness and I was like, hey, that's that guy. And then in 99, I saw Talented Mr. Ripley and I was like, that's that guy again. And then Magnolia came out and I was like, hey, and then State and Maine and then Almost Famous. And I was like, I was just going to say, I I was very wrong about what I was recalling because definitely the first thing I saw him in was Almost Famous. I watched Almost Famous, probably too young to watch that movie, but really imprinted on it for reasons that I think like, if you have met me, if you have heard me speak, are pretty <laughs> obvious. And uh, Lesser, like Lesser Bangs became something of a hero, but mostly Philip Seymour Hoffman playing Lesser Bangs was a heroic figure. Because I'm just looking, like, he had this, he had this run of movies from the late 90s through like, well, the end of his life <laughs> that were just like, I am going to just own the screen in every single, if I'm in, if I'm in the boat that rocked, if I'm in Capote, if I'm in uh, the master, I am going to throw everything I have into this. I am, go- I'm, even if it's along came Polly. He's good in that movie too. Yep. He's just going <laughs> to, he's going to be problem. like, he's like, a, yeah. and never the same way twice, but always bringing that like, like. Philip Seymour Hoffman quality to everything. See, I sort of assumed this would like this was going to be a, a rabbit hole we dove down, and I'm very okay with it because, like, <laughs> I think they didn't. There aren't that many remarkable. Like, mm, that's a lie. Everybody they cast for this movie that was not in the first one is fairly remarkable. They're all really good at what they're bringing to the table. It's just there was already such a good cast in place that it's almost you're almost just gilding the lily at this point. Like, just throwing like. Yeah, let's put Amanda Plummer and Jeffrey Wright, two character actors who are like some of the best at what they do in these almost thankless roles. Right, right. Yeah, you've you've kind of got to have ringers. You do. Yeah, if you want this movie to be more than like the Maze Runner level of 
because there's so many people in this in this story. There's so many moving parts that you if they're not memorable, you're gonna get lost. Mm-hmm. And like, yeah, if he was played by you know someone from the second installment of the John Galt movie series, <laughs> you know, one of those just like generic actors, you'd be like, I don't even remember what's who no, this I mean, guy is. Yeah. I think everybody they cast for this was a like Finnick. Uh, Odair is one of my favorite characters in the series. This time okay. around, he maybe is my favorite character in the series. I really love him. Now I'm gonna I'm gonna run down some of the names of the people who are up for Finnick Odair. Please do, because uh, that was a huge deal. Like yeah. who's playing Finnick? And the guy they land on is not a famous person. Like he's an actor, but he's not a right. famous person. Right. Uh, and. No one was wondering who was going to play Plutarch Heavensby. No. But everyone <laughs> well, was talking like, about who's Why don't we throw one of the best there? Right. Yeah. The kids won't care, but the grown-ups will. They'll um, be so happy. So how would you have felt if the role of Finnick O'Dare was played by Canadian actor Taylor Kitsch? Bad. I feel um, bad. What would you say if a little actor by the name of Robert Pattinson had come in? I, I could be sold on that, but I am all I am also finding out like lately that I'm the only person in my social circle who is Team Edward. So let's just move past that one. Now take off your shoes because you're going to be kicking yourself that we didn't end up with <laughs> Army Hammer. Oh, oh, you know what's terrible? That would have been really good. That would have been really good casting. But it would have aged strangely. It would have aged strangely. And I'm going to go ahead and say badly. (laughs) Or the lovely Garrett Hedlund. Every time I hear the name Garrett Hedlund, I have to Google. (laughs) You know, Tron Legacy's Garrett Hedlund. Oh, the guy from Tron Legacy. Oh, He's a Friday Night Lights boy. As is, uh, is Taylor Kitsch also a Friday Night Lights boy? Aren't they all? Aren't they all Friday Night Lights boys? Jesse Plemons is. Ooh, imagine if Jesse Plemons was in the Hunger Games movies. That's just a fun thing that I thought. Imagine of. if Billy Bob Thornton had played the Woody Harrelson role and Tim McGraw had played anyone. <laughs> I'm glad we're. Just can we do an entire episode that's just us recasting the Hunger Games and the ways we see fit? Can we just do a recast of The Hunger Games with only Friday Night Lights actors? In a way, Friday Night Lights was the original Hunger Games. <laughs> like, Texas high school football is basically The Hunger Games. It's teenagers murdering each other for the delight of a screaming crowd of adults. It's uh, it's Texas football is The Hunger Games in that you're not escaping it, and you if you live in the Texas town, you have no choice but to sacrifice your child to it. Like it's either they're going to be broken on the field or their hearts will be broken behind the bleachers. I've never seen Friday Night Lights. <laughs> <laughs> uh, Garrett Hedlund. Kyle Chandler could have played a role in these movies. He could play Cadmus's dad in flashbacks. <laughs> anyway. Uh, yeah. Okay. Uh, so Finnick O'Dare, we end up, we end up with this guy. <laughs> We end up with, what's his name? Sam Claflin, who you might know from uh, the Enola Holmes first Enola Holmes movie, where he played Mycroft Holmes and wasn't asked to be back in the second movie, I guess, even though Mycroft is a major character in the series of books. I guess they were like, we got enough on our plate with this ex-Superman. Kind of hurtful. It is, because I like him. He's a good actor. 
I if it if it weren't already obvious, I'm I really like him in these. Uh, I don't think there's something kind of like he's he is traditionally good looking. Of course, he is. He's a Hollywood actor and he's successful. Uh, he's not as Katniss describes him as like sex on legs, basically without saying that. This uh-huh. man is alluring, but it is not in the same way that it's described in the book. This is a guy who has a secret, and you want to know what it is. Yeah, he's Liam. Okay, so we made. We've made Liam fun Hemsworth. of Liam Hemsworth so much in such a loving way, but so much. Because there must be a clause in his contract that he is not allowed to look like he's in a movie in the beginning of both of these films. Because both of these movies so far, the first time you see Liam Hemsworth, he looks like a J. Crew model, even though he comes up and he's like, oh, I've been working in the mines all day. And I'm like, your hair is perfect. It has not had a helmet on it. In the last 48 hours. This man should be covered in soot at all times. And yet... Which is fine because you get to see his insides later on that from the back. That is true. You're not, you're not wrong. Yeah. Uh, but he still looks good pretty. when they're doing that. By the Liam way. Hemsworth is a pretty man. He's very pretty. Sam Claflin is also a very attractive man, but there's something about him that looks... He's just... In the movie, he's just good looking. It- he's a good looking guy. Like... Not like ethereally beautiful like a Hemsworth, but just like if you saw this guy at a Starbucks, you'd be like, damn, that's a good looking yeah, guy. Yeah, and not like a little cutie like uh, Hutch, although Hutch is no. handsome now. Like I, Hutch is handsome. I think it's important to clarify they figured out what to do with his hair, for one thing. Mm-hmm. And his face. They figured out what to his do with torso. his face. They figured out how to dress him. Basically, they got it all down to a point that like when he and Katniss start making out, you're like, yeah, that makes sense. Yeah. Uh, all the costumes look very different on these characters because they've completely redesigned the way they look and for the better. Uh, I love uh, the, the arena jumpsuits. I love mm-hmm. them. Everyone looks great in the arena. Uh, even the peacekeepers are completely redesigned because you get to see a lot of them. They're more like stormtroopers now, which is not really what they are in the book, but it helps with the whole like future fascism angle they're going for. I you still also that, see a lot like, of hovercrafts in this movie. <laughs> I will say the head peacekeeper, and I'm stealing a Cassandra point here, uh, does not act the way uh, police officers at protests do. He's much more combative. He's much more looking for a fight rather than just like, it's a it's a little, it, that scene didn't scan quite as well for me uh, as it does in the book. That happens here and there, though. Like, that's fine. Uh, yeah, I mean, because of the compression of the story a lot of stuff happens very quickly one thing after another at times uh, for me personally a little too quickly Mm -hmm. i'm like whoa 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 whoa!" like wow we're really just dipping through this i'm glad the runtime is what it is but i was also just like oh wow we're just jumping right to the next thing also then feels a little strange when there's a moment of quiet here and there in the first third of it she has a katniss and prim have a conversation Oh, Prim, by the way, has like that act like Willow Shields has grown like a foot and a half and looks yeah. like five years older, which yeah. this is what happens when you cast a child. Uh, we you saw it with the child. Babysitter's Club. We will continue to see it with any long lasting property that we ever cover. Uh, they, uh, She and Prim have a conversation that's kind of cobbled together from the next, like the second and third book, illustrating... Uh that, oh, Prim had to grow up without Katniss there. And yeah. it's really well acted by both of them. But it's also like, wish this had a little more breathing room. I, like, I wish I wasn't yeah. frenetic before and after this. Yeah, I mean, the movie spends a lot of time sort of catching you up. The book does, too, because the it book's does. like, well, it's three months later, and 
here's everything that's kind of happened so far. But we lose things like, well, we don't get the two runaways from District, uh, whatchamacallit, eight. Eight, yeah. Yeah. We don't get them. They're cut completely, which is fine because they fill us in on the District 13 stuff later and those characters never come back. Mm -hmm. Uh, uh, And we lose like, we lose little things like they've, oh, they've put the electric fence back online. And like there's the slow build of the fascist creep into the district is it's immediate yeah, in the it's movie. Literally it's like, overnight. Yeah. They're here. The next thing you know, they're burning down Greasy Says. And the next thing you know, like everyone's like screaming and running around. And then all of a sudden, like uh Gail is getting whipped in the town square. Yes. And then Katniss gets whipped across the face. She throws herself there, but it's Hamish who comes and saves the day as opposed to the other peacekeeper <laughs> because there's no other peacekeepers with faces yep, in this. Because they're all gone already. Uh, and I like and Hamish we've never s- met them. stepping in. I like Hamish coming in and being I like... I do too. I like Hamish at this movie. I think he, I think Woody Harrelson did the best with what little he has uh, in, uh, in contrast with the book. Uh, yeah. Ditto for Elizabeth Banks who has a lot more going on in the book. Uh, you can see like they're... Like there are seeds being sown of Effie not quite being as on board with the capital. We discussed this. I, I don't think it's as clear here. I just think there's less of it. They give her, they have Elizabeth Banks like, she'll get a little more of a tremble yeah. in her voice. Uh, and you're like, okay, I guess she's sad now. Like in the first movie, she wasn't sad, but now she's sad. Hamish, we do get to see him like he's still falling apart. We lose, we lose. So much of the sense of, and again, this is just me comparing the book. It's unfair, but I'm an unfair boy. <laughs> uh, we lose a lot of like just how beaten down all of these like survivors are of the Hunger Games. <laughs> like there, we see like one guy throwing up, but unless you've read the book, you wouldn't kind of realize, oh, that guy's an alcoholic because of like how terrible like his life is after the we also games. don't get like Katniss doesn't shower for a long time we don't get any of like the Katniss post games depression aside from her waking up screaming a couple times my question is and this I had a question about this for the book too but my question is why are the careers like the 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 the, the higher district winners still in such good fighting shape all these years later, why were they still training if there was no chance of them ever being in the Hunger Games again? Like, do they just still, well, that's our career, I guess. So we just got to keep fighting. For Unclear, tra- like- particularly like with regard to specific districts. I kind of get it for District 2 because that is the militia district. Like you find that I out. guess, yeah. Uh, you find that out in 3 that that is like... That's where they moved any kind of military operations. It's where they train peacekeepers. That makes sense. That being said, the rest of them, no idea. No idea why any of these people are in amazing shape. Like, uh, I do love, like, we haven't even talked about Jenna Malone yet. It's very important. Uh, we'll get to Jenna Malone. Yeah. I don't want to talk about Jenna Malone. Uh, Who is not Malone, Mary Louise Parker. <laughs> Jeff, Jenna Malone, in uh, in her most commanding performance since Saved, and uh, plays... Joanna Mason, and she plays her perfectly, and again is not giving a ton to do, but does more than you would expect. <laughs> like he does more than you would anticipate, and it is very welcome. That's because Jenna Malone's natural resting face is: you have a crush on me, but you're afraid to approach me because I might kill you. Yeah, yeah. Like Jenna Malone just looks like that. 
She knows you're attracted to her, and she knows you're terrified of her, <laughs> even if she's playing a nice character. Yes. Uh, and the Katniss dynamic in the movies becomes a little cozier, a little quicker. Yeah. And the tension is uh, different. It is charged. We do get the differently. completely taking off all of her clothes in the elevator scene, much to like Hamish's approval. Okay, I think that's kind of funny. Uh, apparently, yes, Jenna Malone did have to take off almost all of her clothes in front of those cast members. She was like, I mean, yeah, I mean, I assume she had something sort of covering her front. Yeah. Uh, but uh, but she's like, yeah, they pretty much just kept seeing everything every time they did a take. Like, it was just because it's pretty like you see her back. So, I mean, there's a lot there. Uh, but yeah, it's a funny moment. There's very few funny moments in this I've movie. I've been in that so. elevator. I'm going to keep forgetting to mention it if I don't say it right now. I've been in that elevator. I've stayed in that hotel. Because what's the hotel? It's the Marriott in um, the center of Atlanta, Georgia. Like, there are four convention, quote unquote, hotels that are uh, attached by walkways or like within a block and a half of each other. Um, there's a completely fan run but pretty enormous convention called dragon con that is held there every year i have been to two of them and i stayed in that hotel both times isn't it weird i've always even when i was a kid i found this weird isn't it weird that like hollywood is like we need futuristic sets so let's just go to this place that looks kind of futuristic and i'm whenever i would find out about it i'd be like well then it's not really future it's and people can just go there. It's like when the city of Houston was filmed for RoboCop 2 as New Detroit because they thought it had a cool skyline. And we were like, this is just Houston. We just we live in Houston. It just looks like Houston. But everyone else in the nation was like, look at that skyline. That's what a new Detroit would look like. Like for this, it's like most of, of the viewers were like, this is a Hunger Game elevator. <laughs> this is a Hunger me, Game. I'm like. Remember that the time I was in that elevator and was wearing a Battlestar Galactica costume and I asked the other person in the elevator what his, what his costume was from and he said Battlestar Galactica, the original, and then we rode together in silence for like several floors. Was it like the scene in Spider-Man 2 when he's in the elevator yeah, with- with Hell Sparks. With Hell Sparks, yeah. It was exactly the same thing and I was definitely the Hell Sparks in this scenario. Why isn't Hal Sparks in a Hunger Games movie? He would play uh, the role that Toby Jones plays. And he'd be really good. He kind of is America's Toby Joe. (laughs) Uh, This movie. uh, What else do we... We have so much to say about it. We have a lot to say about it because uh, we've only only touched the tip of the iceberg. Yes, we have. Because because we we talked about Jeffrey Wright. We did. well, we're talking about Jenna Malone, who plays uh, who plays Joanna. Uh, she does a great job. She's very good. Uh, she actually gives about as like a, she gives as much as she possibly can in what little time she has. Uh, uh, and we don't get the Katniss internal like we don't get the running monologue of "I hate this girl," which is Katniss's way of expressing herself. I know I'm a lot like this girl, right? <laughs> she expresses uh, very differently. It's fine. Uh, we get Sex in the City's Lynn Cohen as Mags Flanagan. I like her. Uh, uh, I don't understand why Mags doesn't speak. I don't understand why she doesn't have words. So I in just, the it's... book, she doesn't either. Right. Um, I, I don't. I assume there's a lot going on with people who were in the Hunger Games and the same. Like you, when you find out the precise nature of Annie's condition in Mockingjay, you're like. Oh, so there's just 
really specific sad ways in which uh, these people live now. I mean, I I get like psychologically why it would happen, yeah. but in the movie itself, like if you're just watching the movie, what I end up seeing is a famous actress, a seasoned professional, the 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 unsung star of Vanya on 42nd Street. Uh not getting to speak in in this movie and she just like smiles a lot and like looks around and I'm like okay there's because there's two female characters in the last hour of this movie who essentially don't speak there's Mags and then there's uh and then there's Amanda Plummer uh, I love Amanda Plummer Amanda Plummer is great let's move on to her Amanda Plummer's because, uh, performance makes all of the sense in the world. Like everything about it is, uh, she can make conversation at one point and then she simply can't anymore, but she's communicating everything she possibly can to the rest of them. And it is very frustrating and she plays it so well. Uh, I did not know that Amanda Plummer was nominated for her third Tony Award in 1987. She played Eliza Doolittle in Pygmalion. I can't imagine picture a better casting at this point than Amanda Plummer as Eliza Doolittle in Pygmalion. Uh, that's really of course, good. she also played Laura in the Glass Menagerie Broadway revival, so that's also amazing casting. So Amanda Plummer plays Wires. Uh, Jeffrey Wright plays Beanie. Mm-hmm. These... Uh, it really does have to be character actors who are good at being weird, like the for these two. Would you say Amanda Plummer is good at being weird? I think she's one of the best at being weird. I think now, this uh, is... it also can't be people who are like, tra- they can't be traditionally beautiful uh, because this is a thing that's commented on. Like, they oh, they don't look like much. Like, one is always, like, one has glasses. Can you imagine? <laughs> <laughs> Can you imagine needing glasses in the Hunger Games? I thought about that a lot this time because, uh, uh, fun, uh, pulling back the curtain, I've been wearing glasses more often lately because my eyes hate contact lenses and I'm in a constant battle with them about this. And they're so annoying. And that would be so irritating in the Hunger Games. They would be irritating in the Hunger Games. I can't believe that they didn't, like, be like, well, you're in the capital now. So we're going to give you eyes. Yeah, we're going to fix your eyes. Like, because it'll look better on screen. Or maybe they were like, we need one nerd out there. <laughs> it does kind of feel like there's always one nerd. There has to be a screech. <laughs> Who's the Hunger Games' screech this year? Was it Foxface in Candace's? Yes, it's Foxface. We have two strung out drug users this year. <laughs> uh, the drug users... Again, that doesn't work for me very well in the movie. We don't like a, it is such like a footnote. It's like right. Oh, by the way, the people in six are are high out of their minds. That's all. Yep. Log that That's, one yeah, away I, because it will become again, important we, eventually. <laughs> we don't get to know these people very well. Mm-mm. Like we don't get to know them great in the book, but at least we have Katniss like kind of filling us in on stuff. <laughs> like, oh my god, these guys are just total strung out drug addicts. Like. In the movie, you don't, if you're not paying attention, you could miss it. And then this like weirdo shows up and saves Peta's life. And you're like, I, I, who are you? Also, Why like is the, he so- the people from, huh? uh, I think it's Chaff and Cedar from District yeah. 11, uh, who are friends with, uh, his name is Hamish Aberdeath. His name is not Woody Harrelson. <laughs> or, uh, yes. You get the one cute little scene with them, but in the book, it is sad when they die. And here, right. you're just not feeling that. 
there are also like one of my biggest nitpicks and i understand why they did this for the movie this is a nitpick as a reader that i do not have as a as a film viewer it really seems like they show the capital broadcast of all of them getting mad at the capital to everyone oh yeah it really feels like that in the movie whereas we know that that was only for the capital in in the book so so, so yeah so the also, movie uh, uh, Joanna gets to say the F word, but it gets bleeped yeah, out. She does. But it gets bleeped out because it's on TV. It's pretty funny. So we see a lot more behind the scenes again of the Hunger Games broadcast. We get Is to it? see Plutarch and the president uh, going like like we get to see Plutarch sort of pulling the strings. Sometimes, though, when they show Plutarch pulling the strings, I have trouble reconciling what's happening with why he would be doing like it seems like he pushes things so far in some ways that i i'm like you could have killed katniss several times at this point when they show it being his idea like in the book you don't know who's doing what who's making what call in the movie it's very clear that this is all apparently there was a deleted scene where you saw plutarch switching the rules of the quarter quell it was Oh, I'm very glad they didn't do that. He was the one. He sneaks in and he changes the quarter quell so that Katniss will be guaranteed to be in it. Uh, Because his idea is to get her into the Hunger Games so that he can get her out of the Hunger Games. Right. I don't care for that. I'm glad if that's left a... Glad if that's left to question what little question it might be. Uh, we do get some cool conversations between Snow and Plutarch that we are not Mm -hmm. going to in the book. Those are some of my favorite scenes. In part because, like, granted, it is Donald Sutherland and Philip Seymour Hoffman doing a just like a a, it's just like a two shot of two incredible actors. Like, of course, I love this. (laughs) Well, and you get to see Philip Seymour Hoffman playing two characters at the same time, and which is always cool. Like a man, a person, an actor intelligently portraying a guy who's acting one way to a person in authority when he's actually manipulating that person to not notice what's going on around him. There's a scene where uh you uh the 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 like the lights flicker, there's like yeah. a a power surge and it's because there's so much energy being diverted to the to the arena <laughs> and there's it's little things like like we 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 really get a sense of a, the president is so focused now on showing Katniss that he's more powerful than she is, that he's not noticing his own people plotting around him, yeah. which is kind of cool. It's a, it's the eye of Sauron thing. Like, yeah. You're, you just got to keep the bad guy looking in the wrong direction. Uh, of course, next book, we'll find out if the good guys are even the good guys. Like, oh, we'll, now, we'll have questions. Something I do like about watching the movie over watching the book is the movie is not quite as much relentless emotional uh, torture of a single teenage Mm. girl. Uh, There's a lot more torture to go around. There are also moments of lightness uh, occasionally. I would say more than in the book because they don't always feel as heavy laden. There's also uh, the the locket is one of the funniest things in the book. I I was just going to say, she's going to ring up the locket, isn't she? (laughs) This is... I mean, this is mutually our fault because we we had to point it out in the prior one that it's very like it's very silly to me that Peta has been wearing this locket the entire time. Like that's just funny. And now come to find out, it's just a series of production stills in the locket. It's 
literally production stills from the Hunger Games. Especially the picture of her mother, which is like, she's not even looking at the camera. Right. It's, it is a, a promo shot of the mom. Like they are, it's Hollywood lighting. They are it's made up in their, like it's so It's funny. so weird. They couldn't have, like, they couldn't have at least aged the photos mm-mm, to look like they'd been not. in a locket for a while. It's so close. Yeah, they should be waterlogged or something. They've been, they've been swimming so much. And, and, and like, yeah, it's like when you're watching, like, a, like a cheap indie film or, like, a, a, a direct-to-video movie, and you're like, oh, they just use the actor's headshots for, yeah. like, the for like the picture on the desk. and. $140 million. You could have like pulled your actors aside, brought in the old timey camera and run it to a filter. In any case, that's one scene that I kind of wish they hadn't kept. I was like, of all the things you could have cut, you kept the locket scene because it also doesn't really mean anything. Like it, it doesn't have ultimately have any bearing. The only token that has bearing and it's good that it is exactly like beat for beat what happens in the book is uh, Finnick wearing the cuff that he got from yeah. Manage. Like that's... It's important. It happens very clearly. It happens immediately. Also, ugh, how good is the scene where they rise up and are like in the clock? Like I love it so much. Like the 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 moment they come out of the water, it's so good. That's cool. But I will say the other thing I felt could have been lost because it didn't. It's the one bit of action that doesn't hold up to. Like it doesn't. I, I'm like this could just be cut because oh, it, it also be. doesn't. I end, don't care. <laughs> it also doesn't end up having any effect on the plot is the let's spin the thing around as fast as it'll go <laughs> faster and faster because a it looks really goofy to me that like because they're like oh no i'm trying to hold on and then in the book it's it really throws them they're like now we don't know which way is which we have to sit here and figure out this puzzle again but in the movie it's just kind of like it kind of gets brushed off and they're it like does. we'll just i like that they're able to have the agonizing moment where they're all just standing on their platforms i like that it comes right after we've seen letty kravitz uh beaten Talk about Lenny Kravitz getting the crap kicked out. Uh, it's of awful. Uh, it's yeah. really terrible to watch. Um, there are a couple different things. Uh, there are a couple different deaths uh, in this movie that are particularly brutal to watch. Uh, like, uh, like in wake of like the last few years, uh, the District Eleven uh, eh. kind of protest and outcry and the fallout there is really terrible. Yeah, uh, it's. It's a they they again that one is done beat for beat. Uh, we don't and uh, Katniss sees what happens and uh, this is a, like a that is a little bit of the emotional torture, but at least that's not Snow just uh, pushing it on her. That's nice. right. And then the next character we see getting absolutely beaten by police officers is Lenny Kravitz. Yeah, is, so it's is... two black men who are killed by police officers which is right we don't actually know what happens to senna we, we see him getting dragged out. away uh, it, it doesn't look like he could have survived that right it's a it's pretty it's pretty vicious we also this is the for only time we get to see uh any of the characters who've had their tongues removed ah uh, yes avoxes yeah the avoxes we see them in the background of several scenes like sort of just standing there and they have weird masks <laughs> half masks covering their mouths and even though they don't call them out or call any attention to them, I was like, "Oh, that has to be the Avoxes. Yeah. Like they're just they're just there. If you know what they are, you know." We do very much have like an Avox as part of the uh, the Star Squad in Mockingjay. So look forward to that. It reminds me of when uh, there's like if you buy those like the visual guide to the Star Wars universe, <laughs> the ones that came out like a few years back. There was one that had uh, a whole entry on and shots of the decraniated, which are 
people in the Star Wars universe who've had the part of their head from the top of the nose up removed. Oh, I don't like and that. Re- and replaced with like a flat computer. And they're just people, they're they're just like automata, like they're people who've committed crimes and their punishment is to be turned into the decraniated. And you're like, why is this in this children's book that also features R2-D2? And you're like, oh, because you see them in the background of a couple of shots of a movie. And there's like, of course, a whole mythology around right. them. They were created by Dr. Evazen and... They uh they were the the same technology that led to uh what's his face uh the guy with the things on his head and Empire Strikes like it's all this stuff that's what the A boxes remind me of like if you if you've read the book if you know the lore yeah, you'll know say, who that's that... very I mean Star Wars lore is not uh it's obviously eh, galaxies it's a lot uh more expansive than like the world of the Hunger Games but Suzanne Collins thinks about them in, that in the same way where there's like there's yes. so much going on in the background that we don't get to know about that i really want to know about to know about yeah where's my where's the like collection of 15 short stories written by your favorite authors all set in the world of the hunger games where is my complete guide to the bsc but it's on the hunger games which babysitter (laughs) would die first in the arena mallory yeah of course not (laughs) uh yeah that was a dumb question i don't know why i asked it uh on the on the subject thank god on the subject of uh, of what happens in uh, uh, District uh, Eight, yes. Eight, yes, it's God, eleven. It's eleven. District Eleven. Sorry, yeah. District Eight's the one with the original, like in the book. Okay, yeah. District Eight has the big uh, rising yes. up original. Yeah. In District Eleven is, and what happens to Cinna is that, with the exception of BT, this is a very white movie. Yeah. Uh, and I noticed it especially during the the Hunger Games World Tour mm-hmm. when you see uh, when you see the whole like crowd of people and they are primarily black. Yeah, and you see the family up on the stage, uh, Rue's family, and nobody gets a line. And the only thing you see with all these black people is them getting beaten by the cops. And then a guy getting shot in the back of the head mm-hmm. and then the door closed. And our two beautiful white leads are like, oh, no, yeah. no, they're not like that. They're very sad. No, about and it's, it, but... it's rough uh, and it's very loud. Uh, it's very obvious. And in my head, when I read when I read Catching Fire, I don't know why, but to me, Joanna was a person of color. And I don't know why that's just the way like I just envision her. And so when I saw Jenna Malone show up. I was like, oh, who's this now? What? No, she's what? Uh, And it just it struck me that I was like, oh, and then you sort of like then at the very end when you see all the people, oh, we all survived. uh, You're like, oh, it's a it's a it's a bunch of white people up in this ship. And there's a bunch of white like whereas rebellions and uh, and insurrections tend to be led a lot by people of color. Like there that that their contributions to insurrection and rebellion a lot of times get whitewashed in culture. And so I was just I don't know what I was expecting, but it was it, it's not that I'm criticizing it so much as just I noticed it when I saw it on film. I, I was like, it's oh, very, wow, it's very noticeable. And part of it is the specific uh, performers who are black and the roles they are playing or who are uh-huh. people of color broadly, because also like it's mostly white, like you're, like you're saying, it's just like. It's not just that there are very few black actors. There are very few non-white actors. Right. 
Uh, and remember, uh, I don't, I mean, of course you remember, people were so angry when they cast uh, Amanda Stenberg. Yeah. Uh, I don't yeah, think, people think this audience... was a response to that. I actually think that's uh, that, that's a coincidence, but. Yeah, but yeah, people think that uh, that fans are weird now. It's always been It's always like been this. like this. Especially since Rue is described as black. Yes. Like, that is just. It's in the book. There it is. She has dark skin. She's black. Mm-hmm. And uh, and the race parallel is supposed to be there. Yeah. Like Suzanne Collins is like, yes, that's the agricultural district. You're supposed to look out in the fields and see black workers. That's what the capital wants to see. Mm-hmm. Uh, and and In the same way they use so many eagles in their imagery and it looks like a Nazi rally a lot of the time. Right. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah. They, it's not subtle at times. It's and... it very much hits you over the head, but it's also the capital. So I'm I'm I endorse this choice. Like I sign off on them looking exactly the way they do. They're not saying the quiet part loud. They're just being loud all the way through. Right. Because no one's gonna challenge them anyway. Unless they like, do. Oh. That's how it ends. That would be something if there was some sound of rebellion. It would be something if, if someone shot an arrow into the sky and then Felt laid on the ground and looked directly above them, and the entire ceiling fell in, but somehow didn't hit the person directly below where the ceiling okay, fell so in. Okay, so the thing about this, the thing about the way Katniss is splayed out is I have never seen a more like, you guys like Christ imagery? You're gonna <laughs> love this moment in, I think, anything else, including movies about the crucifixion. And it's so <laughs> wild and also, it's the only time I am not jealous of somebody getting picked up by the Big Claw, because I maintain the being picked up by the Big Claw would be very nice. She gets picked up by the Big Claw at the end in a way that, okay, first of all, yes, she's laying on the ground. She looks up. You hear this like, yeah, it's a, it's like, is she dead? No, she's just going to get picked up by the Big Claw. It's Frodo and Sam getting rescued by the Eagles, it first is. of all. And, but she looks up, she sees a light in the sky, and it's the ceiling collapsing of the arena dome. <laughs> It's collapsing like girders and lathe and plaster and screens and lights. They're falling down directly on her, but they don't hit her. And I'm just like, this wouldn't happen. She would be crushed <laughs> because what's happening is the the uh, the the hovercraft is coming in to rescue her. The claw extends, as you were so happy to to know. Yeah, I love the, when the claw here comes extending. the claw. But they do a. Uh, there's that thing in Star Wars when it's like R2-D2 is rolling towards like a stair or a step and then it cuts away and it cuts back and R2-D2 is up step. on the thing. <laughs> because he can't, there's no way to show R2-D2 climbing a stair. So she's flat on her back on the ground. Show R2-D2 climbing stairs. She's flat on her back on the ground, right? This yeah. giant claw with thick fingers. It's a thick fingered claw. Yeah comes down and somehow, without tearing up the ground or Katniss, gets underneath her gently enough to cook. But there's ground there. Like, you'd see dirt. Like, it would have to get a sc- it had to scoop out the ground. No, it's immaculate, though, when it comes up. And then, yeah, and she's swayed out like Christ. Yeah. She's, she raised, she's ascends into heaven. You're not a Christ figure if you don't die. I'm sorry. <laughs> That's kind of the... Name of the game. So she doesn't die. Uh, this is when we get the psycho uh, psychologist see, and it is more uh-huh. of that. This like it is more that than it is in the book. Uh, it is just Philip Seymour Hoffman explaining what just happened to Katniss. But we do again end on a uh, handsome, handsome Gale uh, telling us that there is no District Twelve. But we don't. We end on Gale going. 
there is no District 12. It was all blown up. Yeah, that's true, that's true. And then add this line where it's like... I I thought that it was going to cut to black after he said there is no District 12, but no, you don't get that. I was so mad because it's I was not happy. It's like he goes, there is no District 12. And then he looks at the audience and is like, because the Capitol destroyed District 12, they burned it all... Because like what you saw earlier, that happened to District 12. Just so it's you're, you're clear, it's not a metaphor. Like there literally <laughs> is none. Roll credits, roll CGI Mockingjay going, that's all, folks. <laughs> and then it says the Hunger Games. It does a Woody Woodpecker left the camera. I thought that the Mockingjay, they, they show the Mockingjay fan and the Mockingjay is like moving. It's like doing this like uh, Ali McBeal baby dance. And then it like turns and looks at the camera. I thought I was going to be like Hunger Games. It- it does it. It's it's very strangely animated. And then the early credits are all in Back to the Future font, which also describes I really liked me. that. <laughs> it made me happy. <laughs> um yeah, this is this is remember, this is the era of we're just we're just in the beginning of the we won't tell you the title of the movie until the end era of filmmaking. Uh, 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 an art form that came to its like apex with the seventh episode of uh, Who Lose the Bear, and I don't I think we should do it anymore. I don't think uh, we should do it anymore. Uh, it's really good when they do it. Um, yeah, this is a I like a, as I said up top. I don't think it's a great adaptation. I think it's a good movie. I think this is a it's a good, good movie. movie. It's, I had fun. Yeah. Uh, I think the so, yeah, first so this... one is more faithful to it, and it's not always to the like to its source material. It's not always to the good. In some ways, it's detrimental. This one strays further, and I think that's for the better of the movie itself. Yeah. So Francis Lawrence uh, was signed on to make this movie, and he was immediately signed on to make the other two as well. Like that came, they knew they wanted these things to be three movies in a row on Thanksgiving. They knew they were going to rule the box office. He he had done Constantine, I Am Legend, and I think what sealed the deal was Water for Elephants. Uh, <laughs> he's gone on to do Red Sparrow with Jennifer Lawrence. I've seen that movie. Uh, he, he did that weird Slumberland movie that came out on Netflix, that Little Nemo in Slumberland I did not update. see that. I saw Red Sparrow because, uh, fun fact, uh, Jennifer Lawrence was Scott's celebrity crush for a while, and mine was Joel Edgerton for a while. So that movie was tailor-made for a late Saturday night for us. You know who else is in Red Sparrow? I don't remember. Mary Louise Parker. Yeah, that, though, yeah, uh, all, another celebrity crush of Scott's. Yes. Uh, why wouldn't she be? Yeah. And, uh, <laughs> yeah, and then he has The Ballad of Songbirds and Snakes coming out this year. So uh, we'll, we'll see how that, that goes. I love that we're dovetailing with that and not on purpose. <laughs> and so this movie comes out. It costs $140 million. It makes $865 million at the box office. Uh, a bit of a a bit of a success, just a little. Uh, again, pr- just further catapults Jennifer Lawrence into the stratosphere. Uh, doesn't do the same for the other leads, but Jennifer <laughs> Lawrence is living high on the hog. She's got American Hustle the same year, then X Men: Days of Future Past, then Serena. Don't. But then she's got two Hunger Gameses after that. Uh, so yeah, she won't she won't hit a dud until Passengers. <laughs> I uh, can't imagine why you would describe passengers as a dud. Yeah. Uh, yeah. This uh, or and then yeah. <laughs> I do think I think uh, more so than the prior movie because the prior movie does like it, it ends on a not a cliffhanger. It ends and leaves you wanting more. This is enough of a cliffhanger that I that I yeah. am super eager to watch the next movie. Like to the point that I tore like I've been tearing through Mockingjay this time. Yeah. Unlike the Harry Potter movies, say. If you would miss the first Hunger Games, 
I don't know if you would really get why this movie was what it was. I don't think like, you would. The other, I know people who've jumped into the middle of Harry Potter and are like, ah, wizards. Okay, I get this. Uh, this movie is like you kind of need that first foundational film just to get the relentlessness of this world and how ugly it is. Because there's no sorting head in these movies. He's there to ground you. He's chapter two, but of the Harry there's, Potter there, movies. There's hardly any hats in this movie. Not enough. Uh, I don't really have quick. like there's nothing I can do to dress up for these because I guess I could do a capital thing. But like I would have to just cover myself in coal dust and that doesn't work. No way to dress up. But Christy, don't you remember there was an entire capital line of cosmetics released with this movie? There were Subway sandwiches released with this movie. Uh, this movie had so much product available that people were like, isn't it weird you want us to dress up like members of the Capitol? To which the producers responded, what What again? <laughs> uh, housekeeping note for you, we could, we should just do an episode on the merchandising surrounding this movie because it's wild. Wild. It's wild. Uh, what did they say though? It was like, by, by having people buy products that make them look like they're from the Capitol, it's like a comment on... How the capital isn't what you want to be. It makes you think about it, man. It collapses in on itself very quickly, <laughs> this idea. Uh, and my my final thing is really quick. I just wanted to bring yeah. up, because I told you I was going to bring this up. I need you to. Uh, uh, someone mentioned in a review of the latest The Last of Us episode, which I'm not going to spoil. I'm going to watch it immediately after we do this. <laughs> yeah. I'm not going to say anything about what's happening in The Last of Us, but someone mentioned on Polygon, their review, which I totally disagreed with. They brought up... They brought up the veneer theory, uh, which is the theory that was named in attempt to discredit it is by it? a Dutch primatologist who was who, the theory. It's it's Hobbesian, which is that all human morality is simply a thin veneer that we wear over our basic instinct to kill each other and revert to our primal state. Like humans are just animals. We would murder each other were it not for people constantly checking us. And as soon as society starts collapsing, we will all become vicious, horrible killers. We will turn on each other. And The the Last of Us was criticized in this Polygon review, which again, I disagree with, that it's just indulging in that again. That it's like society falls apart, everyone forms factions and they start killing outsiders. It's just another horrible, another horrible post-apocalyptic thing. And I thought about that with The Hunger Games because on the surface, it could seem that way because of course... We're run by a bunch of fascists and people are getting beaten up by them. Like nothing will ever get better. But I think it's really cool that Suzanne Collins, especially in this book, is showing how when society starts falling apart, that society doesn't fall apart. That when you're under a fascist rule, your society is already falling apart. And like this is a story about people who care for each other and have taken care of each other. And Katniss, all of her strength comes from trying to help people even against even in the games like that's her big thing is she's trying to save people's lives in a game where that is literally impossible uh and i don't know i just love that suzanne collins is like i'm going to do a war story for young adults that is about the the benefits of altruism the benefits of thinking about other people because that is human nature i don't know i just i i just love i just really like these stories i'm really excited to talk about mockingjay because I think it is the, like, okay, obviously all three of the books are explicitly about war. Mockingjay captures the brutality in an almost documentary-esque 
way, uh, which yeah. is, I mean, it's actually part of it because part of like a lot of one of the themes of Makiche is the power of propaganda. And I'm just really excited to dive into that particular thing because like, yeah, we've been talking about war this whole time. We have to talk about war. It's the Hunger Games. But the book is relentless in talking about war. And it is Good. in a way that is like both very upsetting, but you cannot possibly look away from it. And I really like that. Well, I'm excited to not look away from war. <laughs> uh, what are we saying? Oh, uh, Pizza Toast Pod Wait. on places. Yeah, Sorry. where can they find our show? Pizza Toast what, Pod what's... on Twitter, pizzatoastpod at gmail.com, uh, Pizza Toast Podcast on the Facebook. Uh, um, if you want to find Christy, you just go find, she's probably running around New York somewhere. Just go find me, yeah. I, uh, I live in... I don't know why I was going to say the name of my don't neighborhood. Tell people where you live. I, I know Come the visit borough. Her. Like, I, like I, I live in Brooklyn. Like, that. it's pretty big. Like, I don't think it's, it's a big, enough. It's a big borough. It's not enough. Um, Phil lives somewhere in middle America. Impossible to say where. I live in Minneapolis, I Minnesota. <laughs> the, the hotbed of police brutality. Uh, what She's are we laughing because to? it's true. What are we saying goodbye to this time? I would like to say goodbye to our Subway sandwiches. Let's say goodbye to the because they were not just subway sandwiches; they were hot they were subway fiery. sandwiches. They were fiery. These sandwiches are on fire. We didn't even mention the fact that they mentioned that Katniss is pregnant, and then that never comes up again. Never. They don't even like. They don't even try with that. Yeah, she's not like in the book where she's like, "Oh, my <laughs> baby." She's just like they're just like they bring it up and then it's just done. Just shows you that the the not everyone's on board with these here Hunger Games. Uh, they do a lot of that actually in the interviews, more than in the book, where the the all the people are like, "This is stupid." Sure, I hate it. And the people in the Capitol are like, "Maybe this is stupid." It is. Yeah, there's more of it. People are louder about yeah. it. So let's say goodbye to our hot hot subway sandwiches. Uh, goodbye. See you making hot subway sandwiches. <laughs> Eating Subway sandwiches. <laughs> I think that was from South Park. Probably. <laughs> <laughs>